Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And I've I've been running through all kinds of topics, and I'm not really sure which one we want to do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had a little discussion on a couple of the groups this uh, uh, weekend, uh, or this week, and uh, just before the weekend. And... Uh, it was because somebody posted, and we talked a little bit about it last week. Somebody posted something to the network, and uh, I stayed up all night answering numerous emails that I got kind of at the last minute from from the individual who posted something on Gurus, and uh, uh, well, actually, he posted something on. Uh, getting out of the system, getting out of Babylon kind of thing, you know, uh, going to rescind his uh, his uh, name, you know, basically, I, actually I have it probably open here with some of the stuff that he was saying, but he, he posted a, a video and some other people posted stuff on different groups because our groups are all based on geography, so there will be some people from California or from Oregon or from Canada or wherever and they can post something on the group and uh, when they do that uh, they uh, all the people on the network in that area can see it and some people are on multiple groups which is okay because you may have interest in multiple areas and it it's not uh, working group except for one purpose it has one purpose and that is to help you form intimate uh, congregational free assembly groups we call them congregations but we also call them free assemblies we also call them core groups which means the congregation of record and then if you're an elder in that congregation which means you're just the head of a family an elder is the head of a family it's not the office of a church and those of you who are familiar, I see people logging on left and right uh, on the station. Uh, most of them are familiar with this because they know it. But if you go to a regular church, uh, they're going to tell you that the office of elder is something you get appointed to in the church. Somebody tried to appoint me elder uh, in a church that I was just, you know, kind of a local community, non-denominational church I'd go down to and... And it was pretty loose, and you could talk about the Bible and stuff like that. And we didn't even have a regular minister. They had uh, somebody that would come in from another church, because there wasn't very many people in this valley. And it was a rented building. And, uh, and well, it was actually belonged to a church that had no presence here. And they let us use it if we paid the insurance on the building. And eventually somebody bought the building, and uh, nobody has church there now, last I saw. But uh, anyway, the point was is that they, the people that were gathering there, they decided, well, we ought to have some elders, and uh, which I thought was like, what? <laughs> you know? And uh, they, uh, somebody suggested me, because I knew more about the Bible than probably the whole lot of them put together. But... Uh, the, as soon as somebody suggested me, and, and quite a few people kind of wanted me to be an elder, the person who was kind of 
getting the church organized. I think they buy, might have owned the building by then. I'm not sure. They eventually bought the building. and uh, But they did not want me as an elder. Well, the truth is, I'm an elder because I'm a head of a family. If you're the head of a family, you're an elder. That's what an elder was. Elder was the head of a family. Nobody appointed an elder to be an elder. They appointed elders to do certain jobs. That's what that, that's what it's saying there in the text. But if you already have the preconceived notion that an elder is an office of the church and you're appointed to be an elder, which it doesn't say that, then you're going to think that when they say you're appointed an, an elder or as an elder, uh, that somehow that's an office of the church. It's just not. It never was. I mean, the definition of the word, if you look it up, I mean, it's a no-brainer. But they don't look it up because they have these preconceived notions. And that's one of the big problems with a lot of stuff to do with the Bible and the church is people come with their preconceived notion. I mean, just the word religion. They think religion means what you think about God. If you looked it up on Google, they'd tell you what you think about a supreme being. That's what the definition of religion is. That was never the definition of religion. Religion was, well, I I shouldn't say never. Among some people, that might have been a definition of religion. But the Greek word threskia is what you do. It's not what you think. It's what you do. And religion, and you can tell this from the Bible, because the five times it mentions religion, four times it talks about it in a bad sense. Only one time it talks about it as if something is good about it. And they're talking about pure religion, which is how you take care of the needy of your society. And in order for it to be pure, it had to be unspotted from the world. So then you have to ask yourself, what do they mean world? And they mean constitutional order or system of government. That's the definition. That's it in the concordance. And that, if you go back to 700 years before Christ, to back at the time of Christ, the word that they translate into world meant the system of government that you're operating under. So you had to take care of the needy of your society without the government. Anybody doing that now? Any Christian churches doing that now? If you go to church, are they going to take care of you? Are they going to take care of your welfare if you fall on hard times? You know, I actually had two grandsons injured in the last, oh, well, two weeks or so. One had a like a 2,000-pound cement beam fall from a loader and rolled down a hill and hit him. <laughs> and he's got a pretty swollen foot, but he doesn't seem to have broken any bones. And, uh, you know, I, I'd gone over and checked on him. We have a registered nurse here living who's also into, uh, you know, common natural health uh, remedies and everything. And, I mean, she has her own quarters, but she's parked on one of our sites. And, uh, and she went and looked at him. And we had the local EMT guy look at him. So he's fine, and he, it doesn't seem to be any broken bones, but he certainly got a swollen foot. The other one got hit by a rock that got hurtled through the air, and it, his knee swelled up about twice the size it should be, but he's getting around with a cane now. But they're both kind of injured invalids now, and they can't do as much as they would normally be doing because they're, they've got their, their, their feet hurt. But if if the father got hurt, then he might not be able to do the work to keep the family going. So, you know, I've been pitching in and helping out with a lot of things. Uh, the other, uh, their sisters pitched in and helped with a lot of chores. Their mom pitches in. 
And uh, like my uh, wife just drove uh, the one who's getting better down to do the chores for at a neighbor's house for the one who just recently got hurt. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everybody pitches in, but that's what a congregation is supposed to do: is pitch in and help each other out, so that you do not have to go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Because Christ said it wasn't to be that way with you. If you want to be a follower of Christ. You should not be going to men who exercise authority for the benefits you need. That If you do, Peter says you'll become human resources. He uses the word that we translate into merchandise. But that's what, that's what you will become, is a human resource. And you, you, they will own your labor, just like they did in Egypt. You'll be in the bondage of Egypt. So these are no-brainers. Everybody should know it. Everybody should understand it. Everybody should comprehend it. Nobody's telling you this in the other churches. Because they're not really churches established by Christ. We've been going through Amos on a pretty regular basis. We're only up to chapter 2. But we're going into it to some depth. And, you know, I was talking to somebody just today that uh, Amos... It's not really complicated. It's really pretty simple. But it's a poem. And as a poem, a lot is lost in translations. Because poems are cleverly written, usually, to tell you a lot more by the mentioning of certain things in the poem and the way things are worded in the poem that uh, it's going to impart a lot of information to you because of the way you read the poem and because of the way it's written. But when you translate it, and I had told him, you know, that I had been looking at poetry going back. And because there's something unique about poetry. And I talked about it a little bit on this morning's show. So join the network and we'll send you a copy of this morning's show. By Tuesday at least. That's when it will be ready to go out. And uh, Or listen to us on Keys to the Kingdom. You can look for our podcast and listen to every one of our shows. is great. <laughs> we really have great shows on a regular basis. Some are more great than others, but they're all great. But anyway, uh, because they're all talking about the kingdom of God. And they're all telling you about the keys to the kingdom. And so people who want to get out of the system or get out of Babylon or get away from... They, they realize they're in bondage. You're Everybody in the world, if you're in, if you're in Egypt, you're in the bondage of Egypt. If you're in Australia, you're in the bondage of Egypt. And now you may be comfortable. There were people who wanted to go back to Egypt... After they went out to the desert, they wanted to go back. Why? Because they were all down in the mud pits getting whipped? No. No, because they they had it good in Egypt. It wasn't all bad in Egypt. But it was all bondage in Egypt. It was all a corby system of bondage. And too much dependence upon such a corby system of bondage makes tyrants of your leaders... You know, I mean, they might start thinking they can make everybody stay home and wear masks when they go outside and that they have to get an experimental drug. I mean, that's how crazy it could get. Oh, wait a minute. That's already happened. <laughs> so, anyway, it's it's crazy. And what are you going to do about it? You can shake your fist. I saw some Congress people, you know, saying, you know, and the heading on Facebook, I went there uh, brother-in-law posted it. I looked at it. And it was kind of an interesting video. I mean, they're admitting now that the Wuhan lab is where this virus came from. And it came from there because it's a manufactured virus. 
where they added a spike protein into the virus to make it more contagious and more people more susceptible to its influence. And, of course, it doesn't make you sick. That's not what a virus does. You make yourself sick by your body mistaking that virus for an internal exosome and your body begins to replicate it. Kind of like a lie. You think that what they're telling you about the Bible is the truth and you go out and tell other people. That's a virus. That's a toxic virus because those other people are going to act upon what you tell them as if it was true. But it's not true. It's it's a lie. But you believe it and they listen to you and they say, well, you sound like you believe it. Well, he does believe it. But it's still a lie. And then now the next guy believes it. Because he has accepted an idea into his head that ain't true. But he believes it because the guy he told him seems so sincere. And he was sincere because he believed it too. That's how viruses spread. The same thing that you see going on with this lie also goes on with viruses. Because a virus is a lie. A virus is just an exosome. But it's not a human exosome. They've counterfeited it. And made and, and that's what they're doing with the vaccination. People say, oh, you can't get a virus. You know, that's nonsense. You can. Germ theory is not right. Cell theory is not right. Cell theory is right. Germ theory is right. Because you can't capsulate things like germ theory into a single statement germ theory. What the heck does that mean? Germ theory is all kinds. Of, can you get an illness from somebody else? Yes. Absolutely. Do you have to get an illness from somebody else when you're exposed? No, not necessarily. You you might not get sick at all. It, it might not. Whatever it is that it's infecting them might not infect you. You you might be totally immune to it, and you might not ever get sick from it. Which is why most of the people that are exposed to the coronavirus don't get sick. Some people will get coronavirus, but they never show any symptoms. Because the symptoms, that's caused by you. That's your reaction to it. See, you can tell me a lie. You can tell me a lie over and over again. I can hear it. I can memorize it. I can write it down. It doesn't have any effect because they know it's a lie. I'm not going to replicate it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to accept it. I hear it. It's in my head. But I'm not going to accept it. I don't get sick from it. It's when you accept the lie. And act upon it. Or fail to act because of it. You know, like the people who say, you're already saved because you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and your heart is your personal Savior. And somebody goes out and says, oh yeah, I'll do that. And so they say, I accept the Lord Jesus Christ and my heart is my personal Savior. And then they say, you're saved. On this day, what, what day is it? June 12th. You're saved. And now you can't lose that salvation because you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's wonderful. Now I have to go because I'm going to go commit adultery. I'm going to go covet my neighbor's goods to the agency of governments. I'm going to borrow lots of money and not pay it back, you know, like my student loan. And then I'm just going to burn it up and say the government has to pay it. Which, of course, the government doesn't pay. It makes your neighbor pay. Your neighbor who didn't take out the loan, he has to pay. But your neighbor signed up for the government and became a surety for debt because his parents 
did and his grandparents did and so now he's in the bondage of Egypt you're in the bondage of Egypt and now we're facing runaway inflation it's going up you know lumber prices are going up not just because of inflation it's also going up because people are trying to get out of the cities and move away from the cities and they're buying up houses in the in the country everywhere they can go because they think they'll be safe in the country no if what will make you safe is the kingdom that's your Basra. And what's the kingdom? That's a network of people who care as much about your life as they care about their own. How do you get in it? Well, you have to start caring about their life as much as you do your own. Ah. Because that's the way out of Babylon. If you don't want to go that way, that's fine. You can go anywhere you want. But you're not leaving Babylon. And you're not leaving the consequences. That's one of the things we're... T- Pointing out, showing that all the prophets do this, but Amos does it too. There's consequences. Israel ended up like a dog in a cage, waiting for the end. And, uh, I mean, nobody used to put a dog in a cage unless they were going to eat him or kill him or something. <laughs> in those days. But, uh, it actually, if you look at the words, it, 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 they translated a basket of summer fruit. But, it actually is the word for a dog. Israel is not a basket of summer fruit, but a dog in a cage waiting for the end. And we explain why I say that, but you can look it up. Anyway, so the point is, how do you get out of Babylon? Well, you have to get Babylon out of you. How do you get out of Egypt? You had to get Egypt out of you. And that was one of the things I always wondered. Why in the world God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh? He sends, sends Moses... To go get get the people out of Egypt. And Moses, you know, he's kind of hesitant about going. But he finally agrees to go. And he goes. And then when he gets there, God hardened. He says, let my people go. And, and God hardens the heart of the Pharaoh. So he won't let them go. And so, you know, like Moses can say, hey, God, are you working with me or against me? Well, I'm sure Moses figured it out. People weren't ready to go. That if they had gone out in the desert before the plagues, they would have all probably died. They didn't know what they were up. They didn't know how to handle the desert. Moses did because Moses had been out in the desert. He'd been with Jethro. He'd married Jethro's daughter. He had, you know, helped people expand wells and helped people uh, trade their sheep and make wool and become successful. He was great. He knew all kinds of stuff about all kinds of things. And so he would tell people, oh, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way? And everybody says, you know, that really makes sense. And they knew it made sense because it worked. They could see it working. And they said, you know, this Moses guy, he's worth listening to. And they were listening to him. But now he comes back to the Israelites who are back there and he says, you know, you guys need to, you know, you're aborting your children. That's what they were doing. They, they, it costs money to have those extra child, kind of like the one child contract. That's a good place to start, the one child contract in China. Because, you know, it's not just viruses that come out of China. <laughs> Bad ideas come out of China too. But, I mean, it didn't start with China. It's been around for a long time. But the one child contract is that you, if you sign the one child contract, the interesting thing about it is it's just right up front. It's a little more subtle in America or Australia or a place like that. But if you sign this agreement, you sign up for the benefits 
of China, they will give you free education, extra allotment for shoes, extra allotment for food, uh, you know, because you're having a child. And they will give you all these extra benefits. You're going to need them because, you know, a child is an extra expense. But you have to sign the one child contract. This is the only child you're going to have. Okay, you sign it. And now, you get pregnant a second time. Now, this is the way it was. It, it, they've altered a lot now because their population really is down. And homosexuality is leaping because there's not very many girls. There's more girls than you would think. More girls than the statistics show because a lot of people had children and just never told anybody about them. And it's the, you know, the hidden, hidden girls all over China. Not as many as there should be because a lot of them were aborted and a lot of them were uh, infanticide. But, uh, you know, you're dealing with a billion Chinese, so you got a lot of problems out there. But the reality is, is that, uh, you're now pregnant with your second child and they come to you and say, okay, well, you have to have an abortion. You say, I don't want to have an abortion, okay. They're not going to make you have the abortion on the surface. They're not going to make you have the abortion. They do often. I mean, they've often held women down and forced the abortion. But uh, what they do is they say, okay, but you have to pay back all the benefits that we gave you. You know, the free education, the extra allotment for shoes and all this stuff. You have to pay it back or you can't have that second child. Well, you know, even under communism, there were people who were such good organizers and such clever people in small rural communities especially where they started a business and they started hiring people. And uh, one of them particularly, he made sewing machines. I met his daughter. He made sewing machines and uh, they they got parts. He was just clever and industrious and everything. And he had like 20, 25 workers working for him. And because it was a, it was a big deal to make sewing machines, I bought one of them. It, it, it's, it works. It's like an old Singer sewing machine, but it will sew heavy leather. And you can operate it by hand. You don't need power. You can operate it with a motor too, but you, you can operate it by hand. And so I ended up, we have a lot better sewing machines now, so I don't, I don't use it. I still have it, but it, it's a great little investment. And some of the singer parts are replaceable in it. But the point is, he had all kinds of kids. He didn't just have one child. Heart of China had all kinds of kids. Why? He didn't need any of the benefits. If something happened to him or he got sick or something like that, he had all kinds of employees that wanted to see him well and they would work hard to make sure that everything was okay. They worked together as a team. Now, the friend that I had who went and was buying these sewing machines, he bought a lot of other equipment in China. He had to fly to China and he would stay at the factory where he was going to buy a bunch of stuff, box up all the stuff that he was going to buy, making sure it was the, what he wanted and it was in the right boxes and stored properly. He would load it onto a truck. He would ride with the trucker. Otherwise, something's going to fall off that truck before it gets to the harbor. He would load it all onto a ship and ship it off. Once it was on the ship and the ship was out of the harbor, it was pretty safe. It wasn't going to get dropped along the roadside somewhere and then he'd go back and order a bunch of other stuff and actually what he would do is he would usually uh, fill up an entire conix box of all kinds of things that he they were making really cheap in China this was years ago 30 years ago and uh, 
and he would get that conics box filled up and then he would get it loaded on a ship and then he would fly back. Well, eventually he flew back with one of that guy's daughters. <laughs> so, and, uh, and as far as I know, they've lived happily ever after up in Washington. But, uh, anyway, this was, this is how it worked. If you, if you were very successful, you didn't need the government. And the fact is, all of you could be very successful. And the fact is, the government is now going to what you would call the decline and fall of the Second Roman Empire. And so you should be doing what Christ said. Because Egypt was going through a decline at the time that Moses came back. And Moses said, you can have the stuff. Give me the people. Same thing Abraham said. But the people weren't ready. So God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. And then brought plagues. Because the Pharaoh would not relent. Well, wait a minute. Now, you harden the heart of the Pharaoh. Then you bring these plagues to force the Pharaoh to give in. No, 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 no. This doesn't make any sense. Well, it does. If you understand the plagues were there to test the people. So, now there was going to be a shortage of food. There was like some sort of anthrax that went around. There were fleas. There was... Uh, eventually fire and brimstone and all these things were coming and it was affecting the food supply. Kind of like COVID, or at least the shutdown is affecting. My wife was in a store the other day, which is rare, but we had to go and pick up my granddaughter and so she picked up a few things. She said the store shelves were, were empty in lots of places. Lots of things were missing. And things were all more expensive than the last time we were there. And, of course, we're getting to the point where we don't necessarily need to go to the store. We certainly will go to a store and buy certain things. But uh, we could get by without going to the store. But there's a lot of things we could do to prepare people so they aren't so dependent. And one of the key things is to create that network. Because you can't make everything yourself. You have to have a network of people to depend upon. And they have to be people that are reliable. And people that will actually show up because they care about you. Not just because they care about you because they have a personal relationship with you. But care about you because Christ said you had to care about your neighbor as much as yourself. So you can't just care about your local congregation. Any minister who just serves his local congregation but does not meet with the other ministers is not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because he's not doing what Christ commanded. He won't take an hour out of his day or even a half hour or even 15 minutes to check in with the other ministers once a week. He, he does, he's not practicing pure religion. He isn't seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He just wants his little congregation. That's no good. And, and people who tell you in your congregation, oh, you don't want to go to that church and you don't want to go to this and you don't want to do that and you don't want to look up this and you don't want to ask that question. You don't want that. That guy is, uh, it's a free assembly. His job is not to dictate to you. His job is to help you see the truth. Well, one of the big problems with that is a lot of people out there who don't really want to see the truth. And they want to think they know the truth, but they don't really want to see the truth. Something happened here. There's a lot of calls. I have to pan down to see how many people are on the show. But anyway, we're we're looking at expanding the show in a number of different ways. But one of the things that I did do was I I set up uh, 
looking here. Oh, I was saying that, uh, you know, we had this one guy who, who, uh, sent to the, the group and he says, you cannot render unto Caesar what is God's without consequences. Well, that's true. Uh, cause we live in a cause and effect universe. So you can't argue with that. But where's he going with that? Your God given private Christian name is not Caesar's. It belongs to God. Okay. How'd you make that leap? Your private Christian name. How did your name get private Christian name? <laughs> he says that, you know, public legal debtor legal surname is not God's. It belongs to Caesar. So what he's saying is you can get free by giving your name back to Caesar and not using it and only using your Christian name. Well, there's some validity to that in the sense that you labels matter to some degree. But uh, the reality is is that, uh, no, that that isn't how you got into bondage. Uh, you know, he goes on and talks about the antonomasia uh, of your name and all this kind of stuff, big words and all that stuff, doesn't mean a thing. It's not. It's even a misuse of the word antonomasia, uh, which is like, uh, you know, calling Shakespeare the bard, you know, or calling uh, Hitler the paper hanger. It, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, anything else. It doesn't really have anything to do with allegiance. What... Jesus didn't say, you are not to use the name of Caesar. You are not to use the name that Caesar gives you. You are not to use the name that belongs to Caesar. He says, you know, he's saying you are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. You are supposed to create a government of and for the by the people that does not exercise authority and allows the people to gather in free assemblies so that they can learn to live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty, which they will need to know how to do when the system collapses. They will need to have those bonds of brotherly love. The, you know what, what Amos was calling uh, the covenant of brothers, or the brothers' covenant, where you're brothers because you care about one another, not just because you shared a womb at one time, but because you actually care about one another, and that takes a little time to build. And good news is, we're going to have an opportunity to learn how. To live as free people without dependence upon men who exercise authority. That's the good news. The bad news is we're going to have to learn how to live without the benefits of government because they're going to dry up and the government is going to collapse. And, you know, right about the time the government collapses, there'll probably be foreign troops in the country <laughs> going around devouring who they will. Because that, I mean, that, just looking at history, that's the way it usually goes. And that's what Amos was saying about Jeroboam and his high priest, is that, uh, you know, all these things are going to happen. And uh, we'll get into it when we get into the last of Amos, because he kind of springs something on us in the last chapter. But uh, he says that they're going to be taken by the sword. He says this in chapter 2, which we went through today. And he says it in other chapters as well, which really upset Jeroboam. But the fact is, society has been degenerating. And uh, your leaders 
are degenerating as well. They all live in darkness. They don't see the problem. They don't see this. If you don't see the problems, you're not going to see the solution. And the solution is what Christ said all along. Not what you're hearing about in these fake churches, these idolatrous apostate churches, but what Christ was really saying. And boy, I tell you, a lot of people aren't going to want to hear it. But we need to go out there and beat the hedges and the bushes to find out what it is that God was really telling us to do and try that for the same. I mean, the guy goes on and says, I am purchased property of the Lord Christ Jesus. Well, sounds good. Uh, Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Sounds good. A free man called the Lord Christ. Are you? You know, there was a, there was a slave that ran away and Paul said, go back. Why did he say go back? Because he actually was a slave. And that's, of course, what Peter's telling you. You will be made merchandise through covetous practices. You cannot make yourself unmerchandised by simply sending your, you know, the name you're known by back. You, you can't do it that way. That's not what Christ said to do. It's not what Moses said to do. They said nothing like that. They said to learn to love one another and care about one another and sacrifice for one another in the name of Christ, in the ways of Christ. So anyway, I he sent a bunch of attachments and I said, you can't send those attachments. Try sending it without the attachments. And But then I did a little bit of the show last week on that and that evidently really upset him. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't know, uh, I wasn't even sure, cause I was actually talking about several people on the show, so anyway, you know, he, he, so he sent another email, and, uh, it was, was it him or was it somebody else who didn't like my definition of citizen or something like that? And why do you use the word citizen? I, well, we already talked about that. I guess that was somebody else. But it says, your God-given private Christian name. He goes on and says this thing, the Christian is a compacted, uh, Compact edition of the Oxford English Dictionary, Volume 2. He says, Christian name. When a man is made a spiritual peer, he loses his surname when he, when a temporal, his Christian name. Boy, he must have something missing from that. But uh, the reality is, you know, what is, what's he talking about? It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense when you hold it up next to the gospel. Now, it is true that, you know, when, you know, we're talking about the Constantinian church. And we we can also talk about, you know, Peter, whose real name was Simon Barjona. And they started calling him Peter. He didn't he didn't give his name Simon Barjona back to Caesar. He just began to be known as Peter, became a nickname. And Paul became known as Paul instead of Saul. And it's fine to change your name when you make a serious change in your life. But if you're going to be seeking the kingdom of God, that change has to be towards righteousness. So you would think that person would be doing what Christ said. And he's been on the group long enough to figure out, because we show you what Christ said. So anyway, he says it's wrong and against good moral conscience to commit spiritual suicide. Well, yeah, it is. But anger is spiritual suicide. That's why Jesus says, you know, you have to go make... Before you make your sacrifice, you got to go make peace with your brother. Well, this guy sent a letter, and he's not really making peace with me. (laughs) 
he says, I'm confused or intentionally confusing my purpose. Uh, I don't know where, but he didn't say where that is. Uh, are you threatened by the simplicity of my actions? No, I'm, I'm not threatened by the simplicity or the stupidity of your actions. And I will say stupidity because it is, it is an ignorant action. If that's all it is, and I said from the beginning, it, I, he seems sincere. But where's he going with this? Is he headed towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or does he just feel like he's self-righteous because he's not using that name anymore? What's he doing about years and years of him and his parents' covetous practices? You know, I don't know the guy individually, so I can't talk about him individually, so I haven't even mentioned his name. Anyway, he says, I have experience with some of those in your organ group, and they are confused or left wanting. Well, I'm sorry. What are you talking about? He says, oh, here he says, it may be the extensive Jesuit training you love to profess that is getting in the way of you teaching God's truth and simple remedy. I never was trained by the Jesuits. My folks tried to send me to a Jesuit high school, but the Jesuits wouldn't take me. They wouldn't let me go to, I never went to that school. I was never trained by the Jesuits. The guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just making stuff up. He's defending his position against an invisible enemy. Because I'm not an enemy of his position. I'm advocating Christ. And that's why I didn't spend a lot of time defending myself against some of the things that he said. Because he goes on to say, you, Greg, are a coward. And he spells it C-O-W-A-R-D. So I don't know what that means. But uh, I'm here. Uh, I would even take him on to the show. But he doesn't want to have a conversation. He's either throwing out ad hominems or he's telling everybody what he knows and what you must do. That's what he was publishing in that first letter is that you must. We must... Uh, render and relinquish back the surname. Uh, Must we? Not necessarily. (laughs) What we must do is stop coveting our neighbor's goods and start sitting down together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and love one another, forgiving one another. And before you do anything, you have to forgive your brother. I never said anything bad about him originally. But then... The fact is, is it's a dumb idea. He, he makes a point in starting off his posts with guru is a Sanskrit term. Well, if you go to our page, which I had linked to and which he was responding to, because I had posted to the group, and this is what evidently upset him, is that when I apo- posted to the group, I also included our guru page. And I actually added to the page, stayed up late one night, and added to the page, so that uh, just to make things a little clearer. And, you know, I had, it's, the page is actually guru theories at preparingyou.com. And, uh, there's lots of them. And we talk about the ancient paths and the needs and the false redemption and pieces of the puzzle and crown templar and Siddham, uh, uh, the family guardian, fam guardian, they call themselves. I knew these guys, uh, years ago. You know, and I could tell you stories and put them in a very bad light, but, at least some of the guys. I don't know who all is involved today because they have to be getting up there in age too. But they put together a lot of information. A lot of it which they, they even, I know that they plagiarize stuff off of our pages. And then they put it in a deal where you have to sign up in order to see their secret, secret information. 
But I put it down in a section on the good faith notice of demand because that's what I was saying about him. I mean, he made this good faith notice of demand. And I even linked to his videos so that you can see it. But not so you can do it because it's really not the answer. You know, and he, you know, he talks about usurp the de jure republic. Nobody usurped the republic. You guys abandoned it. In the republic, you're free assemblies. You're dependent upon a militia, which is every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45, whether they sign up for anything or not. But you have a right to a well-regulated militia, but you don't have a well-regulated militia because you're a bunch of scattered sheep. How did Israel, and I talked about this this morning, how did Israel, how did Abraham muster a militia overnight to go defeat five kings that had just destroyed Sodom? And taking the people away in captivity. How is he able to do that? Because everybody had fatigues and they marched around the woods on the weekends? No. Because they built a system of charity, altars of charity, to take care of the needy of society and create the bonds that hold up in the face of enemy. Without those bonds, you will run naked from the enemy when the bad guys come. You will not stick together. You won't stick it out. You won't even show up for meetings to find out if anybody needs help. You know, we have uh, numerous ministers. If they don't show up for the weekly meeting, how will they know if anybody else in any of the other congregations need help? We're supposed to go to them and beg? No. If they're seeking the kingdom of God, they will come and say, anybody need anything? Anybody have something they want to share? Anybody want, you know, give them five minutes. Sometimes the the guy from South Africa calls up a little late because he has to get up so dang early in order to make it to the call. We offered to shift the call a little bit to another time. But he says, it's okay, you just get up early. But, you know, by the time he gets on, it's sometimes a half hour into the show. But he shows up more than some others. And so that's, we know he's there. You know, and he sends me emails now and then, keeps me posted on things. Great. I mean, he's a long ways off. He has other meetings with guys that are closer to him in Australia. That's great, too. But the guys who don't show up at all, how in the world would we ever depend upon them? We know not to, because they don't show up at all. And it's the same way in your local congregations. You, who shows up? Those are the guys you end up counting on. Now, some of the people who don't show up, maybe at the last minute they get a change of heart and they start showing up. Maybe you can count on them. But how many people are actually taking care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity? That's what you're going to have to learn to do before you come out of Babylon. Because if you don't, you will bring Babylon with you. How many people are moving? This is one of the reasons the lumber prices are up so high is that people are moving out of Los Angeles and Portland. They saw the riots. They didn't do anything about them. Uh, in many cases, they were just cowards, real cowards. You know, not C-O-W-A-R-D with a hyphen, but just cowards. <laughs> no hyphen. <laughs> but uh, some of them just are saying, you know, we need to get our family out of the cities and we need to have a place to go because things may get really bad. And So what's happening is building has jumped 5, 10, 20% in some places. So, building materials have jumped. You know, chipboard has gone up five, six, seven times what it used to be charging for. You know, OSB. But that's supply and demand. 
And there is some inflation in it, but it's not all inflation. It's supply and demand. And it's people wanting to gouge you, too. Because it doesn't cost any more to make, or at least not that much more to make. It's just that it's in demand. You can get that price, so they want that price. But uh, it's an exchange of wealth. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, I wrote that section, Good Faith Notice, and said, but it, it appears to be fairly sincere attempt to give notice, although he also writes that this is a demand. I would not have added that it was a demand for the same reason the people who write back and say, I want out of your system and I'm turning back my social security number and uh, it's because you guys committed fraud. Well now, if they accept what you're saying, it's now they're admitting fraud. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that at all. I've explained that. But the key thing about getting out of Egypt See, you've got to get Egypt out of you. If you don't get Egypt out of you, you're going to do the same thing that all the people moving out of California are going to do when they move to these other communities where they think they'll be safer. They haven't changed their policies. The reason it's hard to make a living and, and there's a corrupt economy down in Mexico and South America and Guatemala is because the people have some policies that draw corruption. And they need to... Stop it. But they're not stopping it. Instead, they're moving somewhere else. And they're going to bring those bad ideas with them. Now, I'm sure that some of the people that come from these countries, Venezuela and Cuba and stuff like that, they're not going to have those bad ideas. And there's a lot of them that are fighting against the socialism that's being taught in your public schools. But the reality is, public school is socialist. You... The only solution I can see after almost three quarters of a century of looking at this problem is what Christ said 2,000 years ago. And to avoid what Polybius said 2,200 years ago. And to do what Moses did when he brought the people out of Egypt. And to do what Abraham did when he brought, brought the people out of Haran. And then spread the good news of how to form a society of strong, healthy, generate people. Because if you're going, going to keep going the way you've been going, the way of slothfulness, you're not going to make it. You're not, you're not going to succeed. It's, it's going to be bad. I mean, really bad. <laughs> but, now I say that, I don't want you to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness out of fear. It has to be out of love. So you have to turn around and go the other way. And uh, so anyway, I've, I've got tons of things that I should be doing. And I'm on the radio talking to you. But on, the, on that Guru page, you can look it up, Guru Theories. we got lots of people listed. I try to do it kind of in alphabetical order, although I don't think it is completely. But, uh, you know, L.B. Bork, love the guy. Uh, had the Red Amendment, very thorough in a lot of things. But if you're not creating that network of faith, hope, and charity, you're just getting people out one at a time, it's disastrous. Uh, Richard Comforth, a uh, courageous guy, a little manic at times maybe, if I remember right. But, uh, you know, I, I don't have much written on him, but he's one of these guys that had ideas. George Gordon knew him personally. 
He dragged me up on stage once and used me as an example. Bob Holstrom, been to my house many times. I'm sure he's passed away now. I mean, he was up in his 70s back when I was in my 50s, 40s. But he was a big one with Barrister's Inn, partner of George Gordon. Uh, Carl Lentz, Payman uh, Matahedi. I don't know if I ever say his name right. I just remember him as Payman, P-E-Y-M-O-N. Big patriot kind of approach to things and everything, Republic and all that stuff. And they used to have their big symposiums. They never invited me. <laughs> That's okay. But, uh, again, almost all of these people are not quite... They, they got bits and pieces of the puzzle. Mark Pazio, Mark Boswell, Anna Maria Redzinger. There's bits of truth laced throughout what she's saying, but if you follow her, you're going to find yourself up a creek without a paddle. Larkin Rose, a little too much anger for me. And a lot of denial. You know, governments do exist, agreements do exist. You can't have the Darth Vader approach to uh, setting yourself free, you know, like you're going to change the agreement. There are agreements made. People always say, you know, where's the contract? I can show you where the contract is. You took the benefit. You made the contract. It's really simple. Mark Stevens. I mean, he was the language and, you know, the looking at the, and, and the artifice in language land. I wrote that after looking at Mark Stevens' materials. And we actually have pages on Mark Stevens and Larkin Rose and, and Marcus. There's a guy who goes just by Marcus. Uh, there was Bill Thornton. I haven't done a page on him yet. Robert Burke. Um, Lots of different ideas. David Merrill, wacko, wacko, wacko. <laughs> I mean, genius, but wacko. Uh, Stephen, a.k.a. Stephen Americo, went around and around with him. But uh, they're missing things. And, you know, I, but I look at what they had to do. UCC Redemption Advocates. We're not UCC. We're Jesus Christ Redemption Advocates. But in order to get the redemption of Jesus Christ, you got to do more than say You've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've got to actually be doing it. And if you're doing it, you'll be keeping the commandments. And a lot of you had trouble with keeping the commandments. But that's okay that you have trouble with it. But you have to admit that you're having trouble keeping that. And ask yourself, why am I having trouble keeping that commandment? Why do I have trouble with women? Why do I have trouble with drugs? Why do I have trouble? If you don't face these signs of weakness... You're not going to face those connections that you need to make to the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you are flat out going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to face the evil that is coming. Because hell is almost empty because all the demons are here. But anyway, we also talked about, we have a section on the Crown Templars, you know, Nasara stuff kind of approach to... You know, somebody else is going to save us all and they're going to do it. I mean, that's a little bit what they're doing with uh, Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump is going to drain the swamp. Nah, not really. You know what happens when you drain the swamp? All the swamp monsters come out, which is what we've seen. They're all coming out. And uh, and so we talk a little bit about the SEDEM people, that's S-E-D-E-M they call them. I don't know what that stands for. I used to, but I can't remember right now. But the Family Guardian website and stuff. Lots of information. You could drown in the information they have. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to it. Christ is the way. 
The comforter is not these teachers. The comforter is not me. The comforter is not your pastor. The comforter is not your church. The comforter is the Holy Spirit. This is a spiritual journey. It's not an intellectual journey. And then I mentioned others. Gregory Allen, who I know. Ben Williams, I've met. You know, in the lawful path people and everything. Lots of stuff out there, but, uh, and I, I also went to, you know, knew Paul Revere at the Embassy of Heaven Church and Indianapolis Baptist Temple people. I went out there and spoke with them, showed them where the problem was. I could see it right away and, and you know, they get this deer in the headlight look. But the same with uh, this James Anthony Robert Colon, full colon, excuse me. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I would love to sit down. I'd even have him on the radio program if he wants to actually have a conversation. If he wants to throw out ad hominems and false accusations and ambiguous accusations and false witnesses. Or I don't know they're false witnesses. I don't even know who they are. So I can't even say, you know, I've got three witnesses. I mean, we just had, you know, my, my son is in the public eye and somebody just posted something saying that everybody in the circuit court 26 or whatever it is are corrupt and all this stuff I know the guy who's saying it and uh, he's kind of losing it and I could tell you stories that just make your hair curl but he's got all this stuff and he's talking about witnesses he has and witnesses he has with a badge and and uh, but he doesn't give you anything concrete that you can say you know if somebody the only thing concrete is he says my Jesuit training I've never been to a Jesuit school I never had any Jesuit training uh, I know a lot about the Jesuits. I've talked to... I, I mean, I'm probably the scariest thing the Jesuits will ever see. I could tell you stories, behind-the-scenes stories about the Jesuits, but it ain't because I won. It's because I'm, I'm the guy who shakes them up. And they are a big part of a lot of things that are going on. 501c3, That's you can track that back to the Jesuits and everything. But they they... And I'm not even going to share on the radio where they're going with all this. I mean, there's there's actually, with all these, Order of St. Francis Xavier and the Jesuit Order, they're just shadow organizations, same constitution. There are some really good guys in those orders. Just as there were some really good guys in the Sanhedrin still. Most of the good guys had left years before and were now, some of those were now the 70 that Jesus appointed. But most people aren't going to even know what I'm talking about when they say, what, Sanhedrin? The, you know, 70 that Jesus appointed? That was his Sanhedrin. Moses appointed the first one. And other people appointed the next one. <laughs> and there was a tremendous upheaval just before uh, uh, Jesus came where a bunch of, well, before he began his public ministry where they walked out. Some of them, I'm sure, became... I mean, we have a list. We have several lists of who we think were the 120 in the upper room. And some of those were probably that original 70. Because that's the role they would play. But most people have no idea how this works. But what you need to know how what works is how does love work? How does sacrifice for one another work? How does... The kingdom of God work, because that's how they work. And the kingdom of God is a government of the people, for the people, and by the people that operates by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. You want that? 
join the network. You want to play games? Go to the group page and look up those guys and join them. <laughs> so anyway, until then, about all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. See you on the network. Thanks for all the guys who called in, all the guys that listened. And uh, maybe we can get some interviews eventually. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.